Well, round 16 promised its fair share of frills and spills. We had dramatic comebacks and a lot of upsets, just the way we like it. Plus, we got to return to the land of New Zealand. AJ and Reese recap a dramatic 16th round and look ahead at the Origin Decider coming up in two weeks' time. This is the League Scenes look at round 16 of the NRL season. Just before we get into the podcast, everyone, I'd just like to say that there's a bit of an audio problem for the review of the first match between Manly and Melbourne. It's rectified afterwards, so don't go anywhere while you're listening. Cheers and enjoy the potty. Welcome, everyone, to the League Scenes Look at Round 16 of the NRL season. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor of the League Unlimited website and the Front Row Program. Joining me, as always, is our nothing but league contributor, Reese Sullivan. Reese, hello, hello, hello. Good, good, good. How are you? It is nice to be here. Round 16, of course, a very wet round 16 up and down the east coast of Australia. Of course, for everyone in New South Wales, we are being in the middle of this massive rain event once again. So if you are listening in a flood affected area, we hope you're doing well and we hope that you are okay. Yeah, I think that this is our fourth once-in-a-lifetime flooding event of the year. Yeah, it's it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we're not climate change. Mm. And on the program today, we're going to recap all eight mm. games of the NRL season. We're going to recap Graham Annesley's briefing. There's quite a lot to get to out of that one. Plus, we're going to recap the State of Origin lineups and there are some surprises in both lineups. So we'll get through that one a little bit later. But let's kick it off now with a look at round 16 of the NRL and it was Manly taking on Melbourne on Thursday night and a good victory for the Manly Warringah Seagulls until the 75th minute. Because once again, they decide to only show up for 75 minutes. Reese, what is Manly's problem? Your, tw- your timing of messages is a serious problem. <laughs> David, seen it seven tries in 15 minutes. Jamie tweet um <laughs> so yeah that's uh okay. look yeah first 74 were extremely difficult but melbourne got the game and they scored off that with the soft on rail after oh, that, that was lovely that short ball well, mainly put two kicks uh, um, Manly down the full. And then they were offside. And then I'll just it off. I mean, that's and how quote of offside, offside penalties this year. Yeah, and uh, what happened? They steamrolled all the way down the field. Yeah, they got steamrolled. Then Pappenhausen threw a dummy and stat patted his way to the line. Yeah. And they gave... Tyrant the last play, but Manly, it was long. Yeah, they had to go 110 meters. They could yeah, barely exactly get out of the right. Um, 
exactly right there, my friend. And um, I think a big problem for this game is Manly. Go on, Reese. Yeah. Yeah. Go All on, right, mate. Let's say it's Manly though, because there were um, Tolu Kola. Morgan Harper played really well as well. Yep. And Thorin were both were both playing um both had pretty similar touches. 48 for Chevens, 46 for Thorin. So it's interesting to see how Manly are using their heart for the rest of the NRL in that regard. I think there's uh, a massive change Gerbo there. And Mali Tapao. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Oluquatu, Jerbo, Tapao had some good media games, but the couple ruined his that a little bit. And they're, they're positive the way they did. Even though it is a bit of a weaker Melbourne side, obviously no camera. Um, it was still a performance, but they need to continue this. They can't just have this be a one-off. I've got a, I've got a problem, though, with Melbourne. Because we touched on earlier in the season, you might remember, the problems surrounding when Jerome Hughes wasn't there. For me, if you take any player out of that Melbourne spine, they're going to struggle significantly to generate points, as you saw. Jaden Nikarima wasn't able to generate the attack in the similar moulds as Cameron Munster. And that's, of course, to be expected. But at the same time, though, mate, you've got to realise that it's the next man up mentality. Someone else has got to be in that position, ready to go. Yeah, there's almost no depth in by the weakest Melbourne team I've ever seen. They just it's got problems this way. Sync. No big problems. Um, um, you take out could be better. Munster's going to play Origin, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Munster's going to play Origin. That's right. Then you got Harry. Grandfather. Yeah. So, obviously, Tyron Wishart's the stopgap measure at hooker. He just... Brandon Smith hooker. And... Oh, fair point. Fair point. Fair point. Commitment lock. Or McDonald's lock. Or McDonald's lock. Um, Josh King, even? Melbourne's pack. Josh King was completely steamrolled by Manly in the first half. That's where they lost. Uh, Jesse Bromwich. Man, he did not have a good game. Another Bromwich, but I had a good game. But is this a concern for Josh the Dolphins? Is all right. Lewis had a poor game. Do you think that's a concern for the Dolphins moving forward that the Bromwich brothers seem to be on this downward spiral considering? how much effort they've put in trying to commit? Definitely. It is. Same for the Dolphins. Uh, they've basically put forward back up. And the forwards that they've signed aren't able to fire. It hurts. Thing. Because their backline depth at the moment is so weak. Concerning, dude. Um, but 
Yeah, get your career. Robinson's <laughs> first attack in years. Uh, I know he, the story too well. Playing 5 8, he only got the ball. I think that really oh, tells damn. you really, you know. Um, Josh King had than Jake Nicarima did. Which isn't a good thing. Okay. I will positive for the storm. Brand very pleasure because he is living at the very happy about that. He was awesome. Sixteen carries, hundred and fifty six meters. But he everything and he will this year's World Cup, in my opinion. All right, they obviously have talent all around the park. Jerome Hugh, Harris Devita, Dal- all that talent. But it's going to um, to which Ben turns up the game. And yeah, indeed it will. Indeed it will. It, indeed it will, my friend. But I think one other point is because I'm on a bit of a delay. I'll admit that part of it. There is a bit of delay issues here this evening, but. One thing yeah, we where? need to, <laughs> one thing we need to kind of keep <laughs> in mind is now kind of we're at this midway point. Where do both teams kind of go from here? Because Melbourne are currently, you're going to assume they're going to play top four football. Manly are on this up and down kind of slope where you're thinking that they're a chance for the eight, and then you don't think they're a chance for the eight. It's kind of an interesting predicament as we go in towards. July, August, September, when we go into those championship rounds of this NRL season and see where these teams are at, obviously. But it'll be one to certainly keep watching as the season unfolds. But Friday night, saw us take a trip out to a wet McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle for the clash between the Newcastle Knights and the Gold Coast Titans. And it has to be said that both teams have struggled absolutely this season. We're not denying that. And because they are struggling, it is another tank ball! Cue the round ball rock, my friends. We've got a few coming up in this program today. But Reece, Oh, mate, I love it. Um... Yeah, it was an interesting game. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, we're going to have to touch on Edric Lee. Five tries. New club record. Just, yeah, club record. First five-try game since Adokar had six last season. Don't you dare bring the other one up. Um, <laughs> For my Look, sanity, please don't. I'm, I won't bring the other one up. Thank right, you. But... But he was phenomenal. And we touched on, you know, the Dolphins getting worried with signing the Bromwich brothers. But they should be very happy they managed to get Edric Lee when they did. Oh, um, mate, 100%. Like, you look at the winger market at the moment. It's very limited. But Edric oh. Lee, he's got the experience. He's a Queensland origin rep. I think it's a perfect signing for a side moving forward. Dom Young, even though he's not going to the Dolphins, he is going to carry Jamaica. He's going to carry the reggae boys. To a win at the World Cup. Well, 300 metres, or 294 metres and three tries against Titans. Imagine what he can do for Jamaica when all the ball's going to him. 
They go out to he might end up with half century. He might end up with half a half a millennium. <laughs> um, I will say, I will say. Here we are. Um, and obviously, this is a bit upsetting, but this was also the best game Anthony Milford's played in two or three years. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Like can the control and the conditions, his kicking game. I felt like he had a bit more responsibility than he normally does because KP wasn't there. And you take KP out, you kind of put on the shoulders of Clune and Milford and Randall. I mean, they're going to get Jaden Braley back hopefully this week. So that's a big boost for them. That's massive, yeah. On the run into the finals. I think we've fixed up the problems now too, which is good. Yeah, but I think we have. Good. I think moving forward for them, Milford and Clune, they seem to connect in attack. But I think the massive part of this for me is their go forward. Saifidi back in that forward pack, immediately they looked better. And that's the big thing. They need to keep the, they need to keep the core together so they can somewhat revive what's been, to be quite frankly, a poor year. They've got to save Adam O'Brien's neck. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah. The Eagles having four in Kerry Evans have almost identical touches. It was the same here. 59 touches for Milford, 61 touches for Kloon. Both halves getting involved. Oh, wow. Kloon, interestingly, interestingly, was very much the more attacking half in that he would create with the passing. Milford had one more carry, but Milford was the primary kicker. 14 kicks to Kloon, seven, with most of Kloon's kicks being short range. Yep. It's an interesting predicament for the Knights. But I want to touch on the Titans. We have to do it. We are going to launch into a bit of an attack on the Titans football club here because it's a mess. And I think Jared Wallace's sending off kind of compounds this a little bit. I, I don't know what the problem is at that club anymore. There needs to be a massive reorganisational shift. Mal Meninga's got to go. The head of recruitment's got to go. Gordon Tallis has said on Triple M, he feels like he's failed the club. But there needs to be a massive overhaul. But the crucial thing, Justin Holbrook cannot be a casualty, in my opinion. He cannot, the club cannot afford for Justin Holbrook to be a casualty. At the end of the day, if the Titans fire Justin Holbrook... It's a mistake. All it does is it shows they haven't learned from the mistakes of Neil Henry and they haven't learned from the mistakes of Garth Brennan. Where yeah. Team struggles and they just blame the coach. We changed the coach. We signed when they signed Neil Henry, uh, he was still considered a really good coach because of what he did to the Cowboys getting into the finals. When he got the Titans in the eight. When they signed Garth Brennan, he was considered the best assistant coach prospect in the league. Mm-hmm. When they signed Justin Holb, he was just coming off a really strong season in the Super League. So, you know, they can go out and sign the next big coach. Obviously, Soraldo is not going to be there because he's re-upped with the Panthers for 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can go out and bring in a coach all right, that has the perfect resume that is going to take the Titans into the next gen- generation and turn them into a legitimate contending team. Mm-hmm. But it just hasn't worked for them the last three times. What's to say it's going to work this time? I, I, I'm just of the opinion that the head of recruitment has so many questions to answer. Like, 
David Fafita's worth money. Yes. 1.2 million? I doubt. And I get the Titans were a small market club. They have to pay more to get the players in. But surely the head of recruitment sits down with Fafita and says, you could stay here, but let's reduce the salary. Let's chop it off by, say, three to 400K and drop it down to 800K. You're still one of the more higher paid back rowers in the competition, and you're still going to be performing well without the expectations of a million-dollar-plus playmaker. Look at what happened to Ash Taylor when he got a million dollars thrown at him. The bloke's form tanked, and it wasn't his fault. I feel sorry for him. The problem with the Titans is they will enter into a bidding war for anyone, all right? Whether it was... Although they weren't even in a bidding war for Ash Taylor. No one they just was going the contract. anywhere close to seven figures. And they just did that. They were in a bidding war for Fafida. Brisbane had an offer that was similar. They upped the offer by about 150000 That's a lot yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Um, yes. He is, I, if you told me right now that I could sign David Fido on that contract, yeah. but he's not worth the money he's on. And the Titans hailed his signature as the change of the franchise, as the moment that they went from being, all right, we're just a mat for everyone to walk over. To this is what makes us a premiership contender. And it looked like it worked last year. But that was... I don't think that was because of Peter. I think that was in spite of Peter. I don't think Peter had a good 2021, especially not from what we were expecting when he signed. And we um, criticised him because of the under-six offence Justin Holbrook had created. Yeah. Which was just that... Hold yeah, on the ball, give it to him 10 metres out from the line. No, they haven't. And it's a shame because but I think... This that is the... the difference between a team like the Panthers and the Titans. Because the Panthers have yep. that same sort of under-10s offensive kick out. But they have so many weapons across the board elsewhere that if you just clue in on kick out all game, they're going to punish you. The Titans... Yeah, exactly. The Titans, they set up a feeder... If you clue in on Fafita, who's going to take over? All right, is Toby Sexton going to create the way Nathan Cleary creates? Is Brian Kelly and Greg Marzu going to have the same connection that Crichton and Tor have? No. Is AJ Brimson going to be able to dictate the game the way Dylan Edwards does? The maybe no. Brimson, maybe Brimson's a maybe for mine. Brimson can't control the game the way Edwards does. That's the comparison I'm making. Brimson is oh, a okay. very good okay. okay. Is that right? In control the tempo of the game, Dylan Edwards is much better. In that regards, yeah. I think Dylan Edwards is the best fullback in the league at controlling Thank tempo. Thank you for um, bringing up my point in regards to Toby Sexton. I, we said it numerous amounts of times. The decision to let the experience of Ash Taylor and Jamal Fogarty go has hurt the Gold Coast Titans. And we said that one would go eventually. I think Fogarty was announced first and then Taylor. From memory. Yeah, I think we all sort of expected Taylor to leave. The Fogarty one was relatively surprising though. Um, But look, there's a lot of discourse around Twitter right now saying, oh, Fogarty doesn't change the Titans. You know, if the Titans have Fogarty, they're still in the position they are, sort of. Yeah, you're probably right. In terms of 
playing, Fogarty doesn't change much. But, but in terms of just the experience of having his head around with the natural young talent the Titans have, it changes a lot. It makes him a better team. Yes, undeniable. that's the point we're alluding to. And yeah, without him, they just look lost. Yeah. Once the going gets tough, the young halves can't get going. Yeah, and there is some talk that the Titans are going to bring in some young guns this week. Jojo Fafita, oh, sorry, after their bye, is being considered. And uh, Brian Kelly and Jermaine Osako are on the chopping block, so that's a smart decision by Jermaine Osako to seek an immediate release. He's going back down to Q Cup. <laughs> ah, you can see it. Anyway, we've got to move on now. Pampers 26 defeating the Roosters 18. I am so proud of my football team. From where we were a few weeks ago to be competing with the best of the best without two of our best players is admirable. I'm so happy with the way we play. And yes, there was a few ref ball moments in there that we'll touch on a little bit later. But it also shows that we're not quite there yet because the good teams take the supposed errors from the man in the middle, and they defend him. We stood flat and allowed Kikau to walk over right on halftime off an incorrect penalty and take all momentum of the game going into halftime. Whilst we did well to work our way back and take the lead, it just switched off a few little moments in defence and that's what gave Penrith the win. We just lacked the finesse when we had some good ball as well. And to me, it was just disappointing that we couldn't get the job done when we had ample opportunity to against one of the best teams in the competition. I agree, but first of all, let's call a spade a spade here, all right? Yep. This is the first time the Roosters have lost four consecutive games since their disastrous 2016 season. Okay. Even though you can turn around and say, oh, you know, they're so close to being able to beat a team like Penrith. I know the asterisk is coming. Yes, I agree. They're very close to being a team like Penrith. But at the end of the day, they're still not. Nah. And that's the issue. Yeah. Where, where they are on the ladder right now, they can't afford to be close. They have to get over the line. Yeah, 100% agree. We just, But I think we'll be better if Luke Keery gets back. And I know there's been some reports circulating that things aren't right there. Um, Jared will be back once you add Matt Lodge into that forward pack. I think the forwards can match him. And I thought... We showed some good signs. Siwa had his best game all season, I thought, on Friday night. Uh, Egan Butcher was great in his impact, in his cameo. Uh, who else played okay? Let me think. Oh, Victor, back in the lineup, made such a huge difference to our defensive structure. And Sammy Verrill's playing week in, week out footy was good, as was Connor Watson's impact in uh, attack as well. Matt Butcher as well, 80 minutes, 45 tackles. Yeah, he's been underrated, man. Like, he is such a good footballer. And I know we kind of bang on the bloke a little bit, but he was really solid. Um, But I think Penrith were good enough post-origin. They didn't have to get the victory. But at the same time, these tight wins are necessarily a good thing when you're going into battle and you're going into the September arm wrestles that we've seen Penrith sometimes struggle with. You look back at the Parramatta game, for instance. They were... Bit of a struggle once they got into that neck and neck contest, but having the ability to fight back, especially when they were down, I think is a good thing for them moving forward. Definitely, and it was great to see how 
Nathan Cleary sort of takes control a little bit more in that closer game. He was a lot more ball dominant than we've seen from him so far this season. 11 carries and 15 kicks out of his, 40, out of his 46 touches. I thought his um, kicking game would be better, though, especially in the conditions, trying to force the errors from our back three. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest weakness in this Panthers team. Without Burton now, they probably don't have that guy who can force an error with a bomb. But at the end of the day, they don't really need it with no. how good Cleary can kick the ball and find space. Yeah, I um, tend to agree there. And we've got a lot of back talk coming up after this. We've got in the Annesley's briefing. We have three incidents to get through out of that game. Uh, Trent Robertson's press conference. We need to have a bit of a chat about this one. Um, yeah. Are we thinking a fine here? I think it'll be a fine. I think with how they've called it this season, it'll probably end up having to be a fine. Um, to be fair, he is 100% right. And with a lot of his press conferences this season, he is 100% right. But it's tough to turn around and justify a coach blaming the referees almost every single time his team loses. When else and, did we... We didn't blame the referees when we lost to Parramatta. I said almost every single okay. time. Okay. And I think... Let's just go through what he said. He called Southern's performance not good enough. Um, he said that it was a horrible decision for the Sam Barrels incident, which we'll get to in a minute. He said it was not a good enough performance from him, but that's you should still be in a position. It's not going to happen in Rooster's colours. That's not bias. It's just a fact. And when you look at the statistics of games involving Jared Sutton, he's got a point, but at the same time, you can't be saying that. Yeah, once you turn around and say there's a level of bias against the team, that's when it really starts to become undone. You cross the line. Massively. Massively. In my opinion there. Um, But also, our fans on Twitter, like seriously, some of the stuff I saw was absolutely pathetic. Here we go. I mean, Hux takes the cake and... (laughs) Comparing a referee to Hitler... Come on, dude. <laughs> there was one about um putting him in the same boat as Brett Finch, but we won't repeat that on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've got to be careful with what we're saying here on Twitter, lads. Come on. I think we're a little bit more mature than that. The Daily Telegraph is watching me now, obviously, so I can't turn around and say stuff like that anymore. What's this? Um, so, yeah. I'll just leave Huck to do it. Yeah, I know the Daily Telegraph's watching you after your guest appearance this year. <laughs> anyway, moving on now to the moist, wet waves of Combank Stadium. The, top, the Sharks 18 defeated the Bulldogs 6. And for a brand new stadium to be that moist, I'm a little bit concerned about the sewage system there. And yes, the Parramatta River was overflowing, and that's why the field looked like an absolute mud pit. But... I think it was a good game of football, all things considering. There's nothing like a game of where well, the footy is there. There's nah, a bit like of tactical kicking into a corner that's filled with a puddle. You never know when a Reese West is going to repair. Oh, yeah. We just needed um, Fitzy to do a John Lang and do a swan dive into a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the game. Canterbury without Mick Potter after testing positive to COVID. 
And I think that his impact around the squad was severely missed this week. I know the conditions were off, but it just didn't seem to have the same flair in attack as what we've seen the last few weeks from a Mick Potter coach side. Yeah, I think the Bulldogs tried to play too much to the conditions. Yeah. Um, They weren't shifting the ball around the outside backs like they have been the last couple of weeks. Yeah. They just kept it through the middle pretty much the entire game. And you got a feel for young Declan Casey too. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That was a horror. It it was an absolutely pure accident. Obviously, it just wasn't the. It just wasn't his day. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, he had a bad debut. Of course, the conditions probably didn't suit his first grade debut. To be fair to him, and didn't have the best game, unfortunately. But it was good to see him up and moving about. And from all of us, we hope you're doing okay and bounce back to the form that got you to first grade, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Um, on a Cronulla though. Yeah, on to Cronulla. I'm not convinced. Me neither. Me neither. The last few weeks for Cronulla, man. Diabolical. Oh. It has to be said. It really does. For a team that's, you know, sitting in fourth, they have now that one game buffer to Brisbane in fourth place. But they don't look in sync at all. They, you know, Talakai had a good game this week. But who knows which Talakai is going to turn up next week. Same with Jesse Ramian. To be fair to... So inconsistent this season. To be fair to Talakai, he did get stripped of the ball one-on-one by Carl Flanagan. Revenge game for Carl Flanagan. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, Nico Hines, he had a really good game. Yeah, he did. He, he continues to shine... When some individuals on that Cronulla side need a good kick up the ass, I think Will Kennedy's comeback this year has been disappointing. I've not seen anything from him. I saw more from Lockie Miller in that one game than I have from Will Kennedy all season. 21 touches of the ball for Will Kennedy, while Ramian had 22. That's a That's... fullback versus center. That's not good enough. He needs to be getting involved more. Is that on the attack, though, or is that just on his lack of involvement? Probably a combination of both. I know the Sharks do love to use Hines, first receiver, Moylan, second receiver, and then Kennedy, third receiver. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Moylan wasn't spectacular in this game. Apart from he, that shot on Flanner. Apart from the shot on Flanner, he wasn't spectacular at all. Kennedy could have gotten more involved with second receiver, in my opinion. He just didn't. Um, reading through the forwards as well this is the most concerning thing whereas the Bulldogs were able to generate most of their yardage through their forwards pack but like, let's go through the Bulldogs forwards for a second okay? Max King 95 metres Paul Vaughan 93 metres Josh Jackson 77 metres Raymond Fatala Mariner 144 metres uh, TPJ 72 metres before his injury uh, Docker Clay 29 metres but he only played 16 minutes Corey Waddell 172 metres all right, Joe Simpson, 72 metres. Curtis Morin, 40 metres. All right, now let's go through the Sharks forward pack for comparison. This will be a Royce story Hunt, to tell. 70 metres. All right, Toby Rudolph, 116 metres. Bruden Nakora, 93 metres. Wade Graham, 100 metres. Cameron McKinnis, 85 metres. Aidan Tolman, 41 metres. Finucane, 104 metres. Wilton, 
39 minutes, feet are 62 meters. Red flags, red flags. Massive red flags. If they're having to compete with the Bulldogs pack, what's going to happen in week one of the finals when they're going to travel to Penrith and take on the Panthers? They play Penrith in, what, the best part of three weeks, I think? Or is it two weeks? Exactly. That's going to be... That's going to be a big game because... Three weeks, sorry. If they play the way they played against the Bulldogs, they'll lose that game by 30 with ease. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the thing about playing Penrith. If if your forward pack doesn't match them, you're toast. You're 100% toast. If your forward pack can match it with them, you saw with Parramatta, for instance, then you'll win. Even the Roosters matched it with them for shit's sake. And I've ripped on my pack all season. Yeah, 100%. You are 100% correct, AJ. It's... It's is not a good sign when you see teams struggling the way Cronulla are, where the backs are generating all the yardage compared to the forwards. 100%. Because we saw with New South Wales and Origin 1, that can only go so far. Yeah, and 100%. We'll touch on that a little bit later too. But anyway, Rishig, you're welcome to leave the podcast right now. North Queensland, 40 defeating Brisbane, 26. North Queensland have completed their first full Queensland sweep that means two wins of the tight, or their max wins over the Titans and a sweep of the Broncos for the first time in a long time. I don't know the exact figure of how long ago it was, but man, Reese Robson is possibly the most underrated player in the competition. Definitely. Definitely. He took it to us the entirety of the game. And was rewarded with a call-up to New South Wales, too. Yep, he'll be in the camp, which is very good. Obviously, being that third hooker behind Coruscant and Cook. Depending on what happens next season, he could possibly have a chance. Because, obviously, with Coruscant going to the Tigers, it seems like everything that club touches turns to shit. So fair point. Fair point. He um, could have that, chat, have that chance. But we need to talk about the Broncos. And for me... You're there, but you're not quite there, if that makes sense, mate. And I only say that because we look at your record against the big clubs. You look at the top four, you've only beaten the top four once, and that was the Sharks. Lost to the Roosters and a sweep of the Rabbitohs. To me, against top sides, that's not really too convincing. And you can slam it if you want to, but at the moment, I'm just struggling to see it. At the end of the day, there is context to some of those losses. Uh, the Roosters and Panthers, we were coming off a run of bad form. Yeah, so I'll we, give you those ones. We, we, we were trying to get back into a rhythm. Lost to Melbourne, obviously no Adam Reynolds, and we still performed really admirably. And then the Cowboys won. You just needed a loss. This one hurts. And then the first loss to the Cowboys, we needed that loss. This one hurts a lot more. I uh, thought Adam Reynolds was really poor. He was. The kickoff out on the full and then the dropout out on the full, the, the the quantum boogaloo. Yeah. Only 35 touches too. I know Brisbane didn't get too much of the ball, but, you know, at some point you just got to turn around and say it's not good enough. I think we're falling into the same trap we fell into at the start of the season. At the start of the season, Albert Kelly was re- relied on to do a lot more of the ball handling and Reynolds was just used as sort of a secondary playmaker kicking option. 
Yep. I feel like we're falling into that same trap with Ezra Man. Really? And yeah, because to that um, on Saturday, Reynolds had 35 touches, Man had 34. Oh, damn. Yeah, and that's the issue. It Obviously, it hurts the team as a whole because Reynolds isn't getting his hands on the ball as much as he should be, but it also hurts Ezra Man's performance because he's getting his hands on the ball too much. Defense I thought he had a good game. On him. I thought he had a great game, Ezra Man, but one man that I'm disappointed with for Brisbane is Katoni Stacks. Since he's come back post-origin, his form has been shit. Six carries for 33 metres for your prime centre to only be getting 11 touches of the football is pitiful. He just stays out on the flank the entire time. That's what sets him apart from, you know, the best centres in the NRL. But when you yeah. get him involved, he shows cases that he can be one of the best centres in the competition. You he look what he did help. against Paul Momorowski. He doesn't help when we're stuck in yardage off a kick. You know, a lot of centres like to come in and take a hit up off the rock for first or second tackle. Look at Stags Penrith, the Roosters, that. Cowboys. Exactly. Staggs doesn't do that. So... That's by far the biggest weakness in his game. But then also attacking-wise, you know, with the talent Katoni Staggs has, he's come through as a half before switching to center. He could easily go infield and hunt for the ball and try to set something up, but he chooses not to. And mm-hmm. I say he chooses not to. There is no set role Katoni Staggs plays in the Brazil Broncos. 100%. He has the power to do whatever he wants. But he chooses to stay on the flank and wait for the ball to come to him. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what holds him back as a football player. Luciano Leilua, first game back. What did you think? Um, Solid but unspectacular? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we have to remember he spent the first part of the year in the Tigers. <laughs> any player. He's been bailed out. He's been bailed out. Massively bailed out. Um, yeah, if I can pull up. For comparison to some of his other games this season, so far he averages 101 meters. You know, he, here we go. I found the games. So, <laughs> took a second. Um, I think the toy, I think the Eels and Rabbitohs games would provide the better comparisons because those were the games I think he was strongest in. Yeah. So, 99 meters today, or on Saturday rather. You know, he picked up 72 meters against Parramatta. You know. 83 meters when he played the Cowboys, 68 in that blowout loss to Manly. Now, it's pretty much what we expect from him. Yeah. He won't be that guy who you just take hit up all game. And for the Cowboys, he doesn't need to be that guy because they have Tamalillo. They have um, Gilbert McLean. Clean. When Ruben Cotter comes back, he'll be that guy as well. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the thing that disappoints me about your pack. They were missing their energizer bunny and Ruben Cotter, and you still got outplayed. You didn't have that runner that ran with Payne Haas. Carrigan was kept under 100 metres for the first time in a long time that I can remember, mm-hmm. and he only played 44 minutes. But Payne Haas is a huge loss moving forward. We'll touch on the ramifications for New South Wales, but for the Broncos, would you just shift Flegler to start? Well, it's either that or you have Carrigan play prop. I think it probably could go either way there. Because Kobe Hetherington, he didn't have the best game, but he's shown this season that he can slot into the 13 jumper. Or Palacio. So that, either way, I think Kevin Walters will make the proper decision. Obviously, it hurts losing Payne Haas. He is still by far our best forward, even with Carrigan 
improving at a rate of knots. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's in the position where we were last season. This time last year, we lose Payne Haas. The game's lost straight away. Uh, this year, I think we still have a chance. Obviously, round 17, we wouldn't have been, had Haas anyway. Even if he was healthy, he would have gone to the Origin camp. Yep. Um, you know, we won. We beat Canberra when Haas only played 20-odd minutes. Mm-hmm. So the evidence is there that we still have a chance against St. George, but it's, it is a loss at the end of the day. 100% it is. Okay, moving on now. It is South City taking on Parramatta from the poorly lit Accor Stadium in Sydney. That lighting is a disgrace to rugby league. Like, seriously, it was like we were back at park footy and we had the dodgy lights from the cars trying to light the football field. Like, what was going on there? And it looked like they were playing in the Monaco Tunnel. tunnel. <laughs> seriously. I was expecting a mass, massive flash of light at the end. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it's sad that the conditions of the stadium have taken away from what a dominant win that was by the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It was a very impressive win. The Accor Stadium put out on Twitter saying, our assets team has been investigating the lighting issue that was evident at tonight's event. A preliminary report suggests some of the sports lights were not operating as they should. We'll report back when we have further information which has not yet been released. Mm. Wonder why. Wonder why indeed. But as Reese was touching on, it was a dominant display by South Sydney. Uh, Latrell Mitchell back in the lineup. He made the selfless decision to pull himself out of origin. That's a big boost for the Rabbitohs on their charge to the top eight. But Parramatta, we need to have a chat. Because, as we say every fucking week, pull your shit together. This one week on, one week off bullshit is really pissing me off. And I don't even support yous. Well, I mean, well, first of all, let's start with Reed Miney. Because, <laughs> my God, did he not have a good game. Canterbury panicking. Mate, the only good thing that the Eels recruitment team has been able to do this year is decide that they won't pay Marnie the money that the Bulldogs offered. Seriously. But, yeah, I think we do need to talk about some people at Parramatta. Um, is Nafo Gaffo worth the money he's being paid? In my view, no. Not on his current form. I think there needs to be a massive change to their head of recruitment strategy. Mark O'Neill needs to go. And I've seen a lot of... Go on. The worst part is they built this team from the ground up. You know, yeah. they turned around and they developed these young players. They picked in the guys that they thought would make the best impact along with the team. And now they've just gone and messed it up completely. Yeah, and they've lost Papali'i now too. Neokore's gone. So this team's absolutely gutted next year. So this is kind of like it's this win-all-now policy. But there's no consistency with Parramatta. And we've been harping on it all season long. It's one week, they blow out a good side. The next week, they turn around and get their asses handed to them. Like, it's got to be now or never, you've got to think, for Parramatta. Because, let's take a look. They've got, a, they've got, did I have the buy this week? Let me have a look. 
No, they're playing the Tigers. Okay, so they should get up. But given their recent history, they're probably going to blow this game this week. Hmm. Well, I mean, the good news is the only player they lose through Origin is Borlo. Yeah, because they'll get Gaffo back from camp. Gaffo will come back from camp to play, although it does does suck that he doesn't get to train with the team this week. It's this... I still don't know what Regan Campbell-Gillard did not to get picked. He must have turned around and told Nathan Cleary that the that the Eels own the Panthers or something like that. <laughs> Seriously. You can't no disappoint Freddie's son. <laughs> there's no other explanation as to why he... Well, he was New South Wales' best forward in game one, in my opinion. Where's the rating sheet? Let's have a quick look-see. Where is it? I gave Haas a seven. RCG a five. I was a little higher on RCG than you were. I, I yeah, remember that's that. right. You were. You were, yeah. And, yeah, I thought he was really solid, but I don't know. He, In my opinion, he deserved to be there in game two. And he definitely deserves to be there in game three with Haas injured. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's not a knock on Jordan McLean. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. McLean, McLean has done really good to get his career to where it is now. Yeah, 100% he has, and I think he deserves to be acknowledged, but we'll get on to that one a little bit later. But I hate to do this. Sunday football, return to New Zealand, also hosted a very special event. It's the Super Tank Bowl! Oh, we're supersizing this one. We are supersizing it because the Warriors at the time of recording were in 14th. Oh, sorry, at the round were 14th and it was against 15th. I think that's a pretty fair super tank bowl. Yeah. But first of all, how good was it to be home for the Warriors? Mate, mate, it was beautiful. Just... Seeing Mount Smart Stadium packed like that, obviously we got to see it a week earlier with the Tonga game. Mm-hmm. But there was something special about football being back in New Zealand. It was, and you got that in the state. You got the siren going at the beginning and at each half. It was amazing. Yeah, Not the original, though, which we're still a bit disappointed we, 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 about. We will harp on about that until the end of time. They, they should bring the original siren back to Mount Smart. <laughs> um. But yeah, even better news for the Warriors than, um, or for the New Zealand crowd than the Warriors coming home is that they actually came home to play some good footy. Yeah, they did. They were really solid. I mean, it was hard for um, people watching in Australia because Fox Sports couldn't be fucked sending a team to New Zealand and called from a studio in Artarman. And the worst part was, was they gave us Brenton Speed and Shane Flanagan. They gave us Humpty Dumpty and in, in um. Scotty from finance to call the game. Seriously, just use the sky figures like they used to do. I would rather, as as biased as Glenn Lama and uh, Daryl Halligan are, I would prefer it. At least they're at the ground. Definitely. But we're here to talk about some football. The Warriors were amazing. I thought Ronald Volkman was solid. Uh, Sean Johnson, another good get. Considering Reese Walsh was pulled at the 11th hour and Adam Fanua Blake was in doubt all week. This was their best game that I've seen since round eight when they beat Canberra. Definitely. Definitely. I thought it really started with Sean Johnson. Obviously, we've been 
very critics. critical of him the last few weeks. Let's give him his flowers. When he has a game like he had, we have to give him his flowers, all right? Assertive with the ball, 62 touches, all right? Of those 62, he had 11 carries and 19 kicks. You know, defensively, 25 tackles, only one ineffective. You know, at the end of the day, he... If he plays the way he played this week, we would have no criticisms of him. 100% we wouldn't. We'd probably be advocating for him to be in the New Zealand squad. (laughs) But the problem is he needs to do this every week. And he doesn't get to play the Tigers every week. And that's the issue. Yeah, Their forward pack dominated. And we said this, um, I said this in my article for League Unlimited. Fadua Blake, outstanding. Harris, outstanding. Tavanga, outstanding. Curran, outstanding. But I think the big difference was Wade Egan played his best game in a long time out of dummy half. And probably feeling a bit of pressure there that Freddie Lussick's there and he's going to be there long term, just re-sign with the club. And I think it's bringing the best out of both players. Yeah. Egan is definitely a counterpunch to Lussick. Lussick is your more traditional number nine, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, work the defense, play the ball out of the rock, try to create for your forwards. Egan has been trying to do that a lot this season. And it's not his natural game. His natural game is engaging the markers and trying to create space himself rather than through his passing. Yep. And that's the game we saw. Again, you don't get to play the Tigers every week. But Egan definitely showed what he can do this week. Now he needs to keep on going with this. Yeah, but unfortunately now we do need to talk about the Tigers. They tried. Joe Opehengiawi, I feel very sorry for, as with Jackson Hastings. Because they, they too, they too tried their asses off, as did the two young debutants, Pole and Austin Diaz. And Adam Dewey as well. I thought Dewey was excellent when he came on the field. But... Who would want to coach this basket case? I feel sorry for Noddy. It's it, it just looking at it, it's such an awkward team. You know, just going through the players, they just don't seem to be intertwined the way that a lot of other teams in the league are. The fact that Jackson Hastings had the most meters is a concern. Halfback. It's almost sickening, really. That's one way to put it. Um, And on top of that, the fact that they had so much possession, the Tigers. Was the final count? Um, 52-48. Yeah, 52-48. They had more possession, and they kept forcing the ball into Brooks' hands. (laughs) I'm sorry. AJ, he had 76 touches. Where's a brick wall? I need to slam my head. Let me do the same. Seriously. You know, he had AJ. I'm listening. He had more touches than Farmanu Brown, who started the game in hooker. Please tell me, for the love of Jesus, Hastings had more. Yes, Hastings had more by eight. Eight touches oh, more. Fuck me. And it wasn't even like 
Brooks was doing anything. He had 76 touches, 65 of them were passes. Let me guess. Oh, I'm going to run with the ball. I'm passing out the back. Yeah, okay. exactly. He had... Okay, let's put it this way. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I think in his defense, he did switch to dummy half. That's why the touch count might be a bit higher. Because Dewey switched to 5-8. Okay, yeah, that that does check out. Does that make play, a little bit more sense? Dewey played 48 minutes and only picked up 27 touches. So, yes, that would check out then. Okay. I just wanted... To, I, I just had that full come back to my mind. But still, all right, still... Your point still stands. 76 touches. 65 of them are passed. So, there's 11... There's 11 touches where he didn't pass the ball, okay? In, well, actually... 10 of those oh, were yeah. runs. Five of the touches were kicks, okay? Five touches where he didn't pass the ball were kicks. So that leaves, okay, what? Six touches where they were legitimate runs? And four carries where he engaged the line and then threw a pass before he got tackled. And one dummy half run. Yep, and one dummy half run. Whereas for Hastings, all right, he had 84, 84 receipts. Um, only three of them were kicks. And he had 26 carries. Now, obviously, Hastings were doing the same thing because, you know, 84 minus three is 81. That leaves nine differences between touches and passes. 100%. But... At the very least, Hastings was gaining yardage with his carries. Brooks yeah, wasn't. Indeed. Moving on now to Sunday footy. Dragons getting a tight win over the Raiders, 12 points to 10. Firstly, congrats to all 34 players that took the field in those conditions out of Wollongong. The Dragons showed once again that they can't be underestimated. The Raiders were disappointing conditions aside. Jack White and threw away his chance to regain the centre position for New South Wales. Canberra had their own chances to win and shouldn't be blaming refereeing decisions. I want to get your thoughts on this, AJ, because I've seen a tweet from a couple of Raiders fans. Um, is this the is this the last play? No, 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 no. We, we will touch on that later. Okay. Um, personally, I don't want to touch that with a twelve foot rod, but we will touch on it. <laughs> uh, Jack Wyden. Yep. Do you think it's in the best interest for the Canberra Raiders if they want to make the finals this season to move Wyden back to fullback? No. I agree. I just thought I'd say it because that's what I've seen suggested from some Raiders fans. Savage is more than capable of playing fullback. Wyden needs to get his hands first receiver. You cannot have a Raiders team where Wyden isn't the focal point out of the first receiver position. His hands, if, if you eliminate the first receiver aspect of him engaging the line out of first receiver where he's able to take the line with those first few defenders then you take away one of the key assets of his game, which is his running game. I mean, AJ, he had 51 touches. He had the ball. He Fogarty only had 28 touches. He was the majorly dominant half. That's my point. And he just wasn't doing anything with it. You know, 51 touches of the ball for 12 carries and 50 meters is extremely poor. But I think, too, like you look at the way that those carries were coming from for Wyden. They're mostly coming out of yardage. I think the Raiders didn't handle the conditions well enough, in my opinion. I think the con- I think especially in that second half, they should have been kicking early in the count, trying to find the grass and skid a 40-20. Like that. How many times were they coming out of yardage in that second half? 
Well, let's put it this way. Let's go through the dragon's kicking meters for you, okay? Let's do that, please. So, kicking meters for the dragons. All right. Teletower Moan, five kicks, 110 meters, one force dropout. Not bad. One ball, one kick that went dead as well. Ben Hunt? Ben Hunt, 12 kicks, 416 meters, yep. one force dropout. Anyone else there that kicked? Uh, we'll throw in McCulloch too. Three kicks for 132 meters. Okay. Then we shift focus. Now we shift focus to the Raiders. So that's that's the Dragons hitting the Raiders deep. They had the Raiders kick. All right. Um, Jack Whiten. Ten kicks, 363 meters. Two forced dropouts coming off covers. Not bad. Not bad. Jamal Fogarty. Six kicks, 213 meters. One forced dropout again coming off a grubber. Okay. But they didn't have that third kicker. No. And that's and where that's Zach Wolford falls short. That's what hurts them. They're Wolford missing Josh Starling. Hodgson. Wolford and Starling both play too similar as hookers, in my opinion. Yeah, I they don't the have Raiders... that kicker. Sorry to cut you off there, but was the Josh Hodgson as the third kicking option? Exactly. And exactly. That, that was as, my much, as much as I despise this option, would throwing Matt Frawley at a 14 or 9 spot hurt the Raiders long-term with that no. extra kicking game? No, I think it's at a point for the Raiders where they have to pick between Wolford and Starling because all they're doing right now is they're giving two of the exact same players... They're using the exact same player for two spots on the 17. You're getting either, two for the price of one. Yep. Either you have to turn one of them into an 80-minute hooker yep. or you pick one and bring in a guy like Frawley in jumper number 14 and have him be a change of pace hooker. 100%. Okay, moving on to Graham Annesley's briefing. Sit down, get your pen and paper ready. We've got a lot to get through. Uh, we're going to go on to Origin 2 firstly. We didn't have a briefing last week, so we've got two incidents to touch on out of that one, and then we'll go through um, a pretty lengthy uh, briefing, to be fair. It was hard to sit through, Reese. Very hard to sit no, through. I can imagine. It's hard to sit through at the best of times. Yes, it is. Incident one, the Felice Kafusi Simbin. Firstly, we need to clarify something. There was a general warning given by Ashley Klein to Daily Cherry Evans. From the video clips Annesley showed, there was a lot of breaches in a short time, which also showcased to the average punter the comms and the way that the officials communicate with each other because that's something that often gets missed on the broadcast footage. And listening to it, I completely understand why Kafusi went. Yeah. I again it comes back to the fact I'm happy that they that Klein did take the action and Sinbid him. I'm more than happy to allow that. It's just that some of the set restarts that they were awarding were very touch and go. Uh, well, there was one for um Cam Munz, sorry for Felice Kafusi being offside. He was jumped he d- jumped early by two meters. Yeah. And was in, within the vicinity of the play. As soon as they get within the vicinity of the I'm play... A, AJ, 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 I'm not going to argue offside set restarts and offside penalties. It's more the issues with the ruck infringements. Because... You're not going to argue the last one with me, aren't you? No, no, no. Of course not. Okay. No. I was going to say. <laughs> but no, they, it feels like they refereed the rucks differently to how they did in game one, especially on Queensland side. Do you think um, the uh, whisper in the ear from Fitler did anything? Definitely. Most okay. definitely. <laughs> Incident two, the time elapsed from Felice Kafusi. Now, there was a bit of concern because people thought Kafusi came back early. Let me explain. Annesley explained that because the game clock stopped at 40 minutes, 
the Simbin timer still goes until the referee signals half time because you remember how clear his conversion took forever after the 40 minutes went? Yeah. The Simbin timer keeps going until the referee calls time off when, of course, the Simbin clock also stops. Okay? So there's no issue with Kafusi returning early. There'll be circumstances where the game continues after time expires. Obviously, if there's it's 18-14 and someone goes to the Simbin, what about if a last play? The last play could go for a minute and a half. That continues in the Simbin time. Yeah, but I think that comes back to what we saw in game one with the countdown at the end of the game. Yeah, and uh, there's a, it is intertwined in the comms. that they, they do count down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then they say full time, and that's when they blow it because they had an incident. They showed the comms of the uh, final play of the Dragons-Raiders game. And they they played the countdown in that footage. Yeah. And again, that goes back to that Dragon Storm game in 2014. Yeah, 100% right. Okay, on to NRL now. And there are quite a few incorrect decisions to get through uh, this week. We go to the Knights-Titans game. There was a Toby Sexton knock-on. It was ruled as the match officials, by the match officials, that the Titans knocked on. But Annesley believes the Knights get a touch to the ball first and the Titans knock the ball back. And play should have been allowed to continue. That's an incorrect on-field decision there. Okay. I don't think that's too major. Obviously, it's tough, you know, when knock-ons get missed. Yeah, but again, challenges can obviously replace that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the I Titans think, blew theirs. Yeah, and I think it would have been too close to challenge in real time anyway. Yeah, okay. I don't know if, if, you, if Tino Fasamalai had that chance to challenge, I don't know if he would. Okay. Uh, the Edric Lee hat-trick try. In the review, the bunker overturned it based on evidence. However, on the information available, Annesley's of the opinion that the try shouldn't have been overturned. It's an incorrect decision. This is now the third bunker flunder, as we will, in the last three weeks. If we weren't concerned before, how concerned should we be now? Well, what happens if this happens in Origin Decider? What happens if this happens come the finals, come the grand finals? I think, I think we're just got to be erring on the side of caution. Unless I think there's got to be a clear directive. Unless it's clear to the blind punter at home, don't overturn it. Exactly. I'd be more than happy for them to turn around and stick with the referee's on-field decision than overturn it without having the necessary evidence. Exactly. Now, incident five, Roosters v. Panthers. Now, the Roosters fans have been begging me to bring this one up all week. Sam Verrill's tackle on Scott Sorensen. Annesley believes that even though Verrill's is making a correct tackle, Sorensen isn't being lifted. It shouldn't have been a penalty. It's gone wrong due to the attacker, not defender. No penalty should have been awarded by Jared Sutton, thus making it an incorrect decision. However, as I've been saying, the Roosters need to defend that last set before halftime and not let the penalty impact them. So it's their own doing. At the end of the day, you this might seem controversial, but I'm okay with that type of tackle being a penalty. But it has to be a penalty for all games. Yes. It can't just be in that one situation and then it's let go for the rest of the weekend. Even though the tackle goes wrong, is it, it do you think it's I don't think it's the defender's fault. The defender doesn't lift him up, drive him on the ground like Jared Wallace did and got marched. And I understand that, but at the end of the day, even if it's not the defender's fault, that doesn't absolve the fact that it's a penalty. Yeah, it and... goes above the horizontal and Sorensen's put in a vulnerable position, but at the same time, Sutton's of the opinion, sorry, not Sutton, Annesley's of the opinion it's on a penalty. 
Yeah, I'm look under the current rules. I don't think that's a penalty. Um, if they want to tweak it to protect the ball carrier, like they say they are, then I'm okay with that too. But yeah. it has to be black and white. It can't be what we saw on Saturday, where it's where all of a sudden it's a penalty, and then on Sunday it's not. Okay, some correct decisions now. Uh, incident six: the Angus Crichton Sydney. It's a clear professional foul as Angus pulls back Stephen Crichton. Sudden pulls, sudden plays the set out as he's entitled to do because there's an act that has impacted a potential scoring opportunity. As Penrith had a chance to score and didn't want to disrupt the advantage Penrith had done. It's a correct decision in this case. It's not debating about whether the referee has missed it. Sudden picked it up live. And there was a question about how far they can go back. The referee is the sole judge jury execution about whether the advantage has expired. But there is a certain point about a set or so where we can't go back any further. So here's the question. Yeah. Let's say Penrith force a dropout. So they don't score off that set. Yep. But they force a dropout. In your opinion, would you say the advantage has expired or that advantage hasn't been played? I'd go advantage hasn't been played because I think the penalty gives them a better result. Because yeah, the roosters, I agree with that as well. Roosters go, <laughs> roosters go a play down. Well, even, even if um, you don't sin bin Crichton, I think the penalty is more valuable than a dropout for a team. Yeah. So 100%. You'd have to go advantage of play. Yeah. Um, incident seven, Nat Butcher pass off the ground. It's a clear one here. The ball and the arm carrying and the ball carrying arm touch the ground and Nat Butcher offloads the ball. It's a pretty clear penalty. Yeah. Um, incident eight, the Talatau Moan try. Rappin's short dropout advances 10 metres forward before it's in play. Referee was in a great position. Bunker confirmed try. I don't have a problem with it because the referee's right in line with it. The referee was in the best position to make a determination on whether the ball gone 10. And because the angle at Wollongong was pretty piss poor, we couldn't have an exact line of sight of whether the ball crosses or not. Yeah. And don't forget the touch touches there as well. Yeah. Touchy was so, there as well. Um, yeah. Incident nine, the final tackle of the game, Ben Hunt at marker. Ben Hunt in that final set, in that final two plays was called out for three separate incidents. Offside, a flop and marker. Goff ruled the set restart for Hunt flopping on Tarpany, not for offside at marker. It's a close decision, but Annesley believes it should have been a penalty for um, Hunt tackling Starling whilst he wasn't square at marker because he pushes out wide and gets around the play of the ball before the ball clears the ruck. It's very tight and very technical. Personally, uh, and again, this is against the rules that are set in the game at the moment. Yeah. But personally, I think the flop should have been a penalty because it was intentional. I think it's very hard to, I mean, obviously game situation comes into it, but I tend to agree. But at the same time, Annesley said all three of them could have been penalties. I think if you're intentionally trying to slow down the game, especially at the end of the game for your team to secure the victory, I think it, you need to be punished with a penalty instead of a set restart. They're still doing their review tonight of the game. And I think that the post-game coach will probably give the same assessment you're giving. Yeah. Um, I should be a referee, damn. Do your refs course, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, origin time now. It's a decider next Wednesday night. Teams are in. Payne Haas out. Jordan McLean in to start for the New South Wales Blues. 
in an otherwise unsettled lineup, in an otherwise settled lineup rather. Uh, Stephen Crichton has been retained at centre. Jack Wyden's poor performance yesterday sees him taken to 18th man. For Queensland, Felice Kafusi is out of the side following a family tragedy in Los Angeles. He is out. Uh, Jeremiah Nanai gets the promotion at back row. Tom Gilbert gets rewarded for his solid form with an origin debut. Sam Walker joins the extended squad. Reese, we've got a damn good decider coming up on Wednesday night. We do. And I'm very impressed with Queensland because there's only two changes from the squad that played in game one. Even yep. though they lost so heavily in game two. Slater's resisted the urge to make mass changes. Obviously, he's seen something that maybe we haven't. Yep. So he's going to run it back. And, you know, let's hope it works. On the New South Wales side, obviously, they couldn't go away from the side that won them game one. The only possible change was Whiten, but as I said, poor performance yesterday probably cost Obviously, obviously they're forced into replacing Haas. I'm very surprised to see that McLean gets a start over Ballo, though. I think that might change come kickoff time. I think so, too, especially when you remember that Paulo was supposed to start in game one. They switched him for RCG. Or do you think, because Paulo made such that big impact in game two, you kind of match him like for like against Pat Carrigan? Or are they thinking, all right, you know, Papa Lee is going to make his impact in the first 20 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Let him do what he does. And then when he goes off, get Borlo on and let him make his impact. It's a good point. It'll be an interesting one indeed. 100% it's an interesting one. Of course, we'll watch to see how that unfolds next Wednesday night. And of course, we'll have a full preview of Origin 3 in next week's program. Of course, the split round of NRL this weekend, only four matches. So we've got a bit of time at the end to do a bit of a preview of Origin 3 because we're running out of time here this evening. But, race. It's time for our prestigious Low Cow of the Week. No. This week was really hard. I've got I to be know, honest with you. To me too. It was a really challenging week, but it goes to Panthers CEO Brian Fletcher. Oh, yes. Yes. Because he thinks it's appropriate to try and get Matt Burden to break contracts and slam the Dolphins for signing junior talent. Now, also in consideration is the Dolphins. Because one of your PR people reached out to me today and was like, how'd you break the news of one of our signings? Pretty simple. I've got damn good sources. (laughs) (laughs) But race... I can confirm that the source is very damn good, by the way. (laughs) Um, Reese, what's yours today? The people that think the halo was a bad idea? No, we'll leave that, although very happy to see um, Joe Guan Yu and Roy Nassani walk away from those horrific accidents in Silverstone yesterday. It was very much relieving, but what's uh, up your sleeve? What's up my sleeve? I'm going to go with the Brooklyn Nets. Is this for the Kyrie shit? It's not just for the Kyrie shit, mate. For so, KD? Let's go back to uh, June of 2019, or July of 2019. Keep the story brief. All right. They signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And because of Durant's influence, they also spent $40 million on a extremely washed up DeAndre Jordan. 
Um, if you ever watch basketball, you know exactly how DeAndre Jordan plays and you know exactly why he's washed up. Um, then, um, January 2021, they are influenced by Kevin Durant to trade seven first-round picks to the and a bunch of their young talent as well to the Houston Rockets in exchange for James Harden. Um, Harden ends up leaving after just 12 months. He gets traded to Philadelphia, forces a trade out. And now we get to July 2022, just three years after they signed Irving and Durant, they're on the verge of having to trade both of them because they're both unhappy with the organization. You know, that's the, we bag, well, we bag the Titans and the Eels for their player management uh, in this podcast. Somehow the Nets have done even worse. And you got to think, that were Kevin Durant's shoe away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals against Atlanta. Yeah, that's, that's the craziest part. They <laughs> had three of arguably the top 20 players in the NBA, and they only won one playoff series. It's bizarre, my friend. But anyway, that will wrap us up for the league scene this week. Of course, a big program next week. Once again, massive thanks to Reese Solomon for appearing. Thank you for having me. We'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone.